All right. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us for hour number two. We appreciate you tuning in to the radio program and joining us for a conversation about politics, truth, and culture. That's kind of what we're trying to do here. And uh, we need a whole lot of truth in the middle of the politics and culture. All right. Um, as we start the second hour here, um, you know, I, I know Senator Kimbrell got passionate toward the end of the uh, discussion that we were having. Um, and, and I'm look, I'm frustrated because we don't seem to be in a place where we can reach a compromise to protect the lives of the unborn. And I'm not I'm actually not frustrated with anybody because I understand what they're trying to do in the Senate. They're trying to deal with the reality of senators over there that will not, under any circumstance, vote for anything beyond the heartbeat bill. That That's all they're going to do. And then I, I understand the reality in the House where you have people that are absolutely, because of their commitment, their personal belief about life, which I agree with, believe that life begins at conception and that that's where it should be protected. And as I've said, I said during that conversation, and I'll say it again, I'm, I'm, I, you're not going to find me going around trying to push people to change their position, even though not changing it on either side, either in the, in the Senate where they could embrace the Human Life Protection Act or in the House where they could embrace the, um, the six-week re- redo of the six-week bill. I, I, you know, that, that could happen. I understand where they're coming from in the Senate because of the political impossibility. I understand where they're coming from in the House because of the commitment to protect life beginning at conception, which I agree with. And that's what the South Carolina Baptist Convention resolutions have said. It's what they call for. I've tried to talk to senators in the Senate about why will you not protect life? Why will you not... Senator Cash has asked us as a grassroots organization, um, Palmetto Family, the South Carolina Baptist Convention, South Carolina Citizens for Life, to lean in and try to get these senators to come around to the position of accepting the Human Life Protection Act. But, you know, the truth is we've we've done that. I mean, I, I, I think it's important that everybody knows that you know, I've, I've put out alerts calling South Carolina Baptists to call their House members, call their senators, tell them you want life protected from beginning at conception. And we've had some response. Um, we've had, when, when we were trying to get the Senate to concur with the House on the Human Life Protection Act back during the summer, um, or H, whatever, the, I forgot the number now, but, but the bill that was put together to protect life beginning in conception, when we were trying to get the Senate to concur um, and, and to, or to recede, I should say, that rally we had that day, I spoke at the rally, I should remember the, what, the name of it, but we were trying to get the Senate to, to recede, to back off and let the House bill go through. And it, I mean, it, it lost by what, 10, 11 votes, something like that. I mean, 
and we had probably 100 people, 100 to 150 people there for the press conference. Um, it's, it's just, look, it's frustrating to me because we are abortions, according to DHEC, are on the rise, and we can't protect these babies. We can't find a path to get this done. Um, I don't think that, you know, there, there's, I mean, political animosity, I, I don't think that's the motivation. Some people may say, well, you know, it's they've been going back and forth, and now it's gotten down to personalities. I, it's not, okay? It hasn't come to personalities. It's come to principles. And you've got people in the House that I appreciate and respect who say, you know what, we Roe versus Wade is it 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 was overturned. We we did the heartbeat bill. We understood when we were pushing the heartbeat bill, and and this is true. I I, I a lot of people question whether this motivation was correct. But hear me now, I was at the very beginning of when the heartbeat bill was being debated. I mean, I was, in fact, before it ever before it really became a a thing, we were talking about what's the best way, what's the vehicle that we can use. The motivation was to try to get something before the Supreme Court in this country that would look at viability, because we felt like viability and the way science kept pushing viability back earlier and earlier in the pregnancy would be the place where where the Supreme Court would take up a bill, which they ended up taking Mississippi's bill at 15 weeks, but we were we were joining other states that passed a heartbeat bill trying to make a statement about viability that the Supreme Court would look at and push Roe versus Wade off the page. We never thought that that's where we would end. We, we just we were trying to put pressure on the national level by becoming, I think at the time we were the 11th or 12th state that passed the heartbeat bill. So, in in any event, um, that that was never the finish line in anybody's mind, and so Roe versus Wade gets overturned. So, do we go back to where we were when Roe was the law, or do we move forward? And that's the thinking of a lot of people in the House and some people in the Senate. The thinking is, hey, Roe versus Wade is overturned. We don't want to land on the heartbeat bill where we were. Before Roe versus Wade was overturned, we need to make progress, and making progress means protecting life beginning at conception. That makes perfect sense to me. And that's why this is a hard place because you're taking, you, you have a collision between principle that is right and political will, which is wrong, but in order to get something done, you somewhere there has to be a path, and we just haven't found the path yet. I don't know if we're going to be able to in the current makeup of the Senate. It really could be that we would have to go to 2025, 2024, when the election ends. The whole Senate in South Carolina is going to be up in 2024. And, when, you know, if if there's if there's some seats over there, some folks that can either I mean I think they would they might change their tune if they had really close elections and not be defeated. But the goal should be to get some of those folks out of the Senate.
And then if, if a couple of people lose their seats, then if some of the ones that are left that maybe are in a better position to retain their seats, they're going to look around and go, you know what? Um, I see my future here. If I want to be a lawmaker, if I want to stay in this body, I'm going to have to get in line with where the, where the people in South Carolina are when it comes to protecting life. So, but that's two years. Now we can come back and push again and we can keep putting pressure, but what makes sense to me now, again, I'm not disparaging anybody. And if you ask me if we should have the human life protection act, absolutely. We should, should the Senate vote for that? Yes, they should. We should be able to get that bill through the Senate. And one of the reasons is because the house has put all of the exceptions on there, you know? I mean, they, they just have, um, and, and so that, the, that the Senate required. So why can't the Senate, you know, it, it, everybody talks about the House needs to come around. Well, the Senate needs to go. You can say just as, with just as much gusto, no, the Senate needs to come around. Well, they're not going to do that. Well, the House is not going to change either. So it's, it's wrong to ascribe any kind of bad motivation to people that are leading out of principle. I'm just, I'm just telling you, and I, th- I think that the people in the Senate and the people in the House are both doing that. One, leading because they believe that this is the best that they, we can do to protect as much life as possible until we can do better. And the other saying, no, we're we insist that this be this be life at conception and that they need to come around i i can't argue from a principle standpoint with either side but i can ask the questions that i ask at the end of that segment because there's a lot of accusations we we don't know how to talk to each other anymore and all of this these accusations calling people into question because of their taking a, a, a certain stand or a certain a move. And the question is, well, you're responsible then for the lives of these unborn babies. And all I'm asking is, who's responsible for the lives that are going to be lost before the Senate can be changed? Why? I, 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 just, I just don't understand. Why can't we go as far as we can, protect as much as we can until we can do it all. Yeah, we can't have it all right now. Unless, now, if everybody listening to the sound of my voice, if you'll get on the phone, if you'll write emails, if you'll come to Columbia and join me in the well between the House and the Senate and talk to these senators as they're coming up the steps, respectfully, telling them that this is what you want, Maybe, you know, maybe maybe we can put enough pressure. But so far, that hasn't been the case. And regardless, we're not talking about roads. We're not talking about regulations. We're not talking about building codes here. We're talking about lives in the womb, babies dying, because we can't figure out a path to get this done. I pray that God will give us wisdom. I pray that we'll stop yelling at each other long enough to figure out how to do it. 
You know, the words uh, for that song, uh, written in 1965, were Hal David, and of course the music was Burt Bacharach. You can almost kind of hear he had a, a very um, distinctive style that um, we're just, I think the world is going to miss. Uh, by the way, we're going to have Representative John McCravey on at 8.30 this morning, so he's going to be calling in here in a few minutes. So we'll look forward to talking to him about efforts in the House. And I want to I want to get him to comment on the significance of uh, who the person who is now Justice Gary Hill. Um, you know, is that going to do, do we how how confident are we that that's going to make a difference in our Supreme Court? And by the way, he'll be sworn in soon. I, I, when I was talking to some folks at lunch on Wednesday, there was some disagreement about that. I think we talked to the attorney general about that to clear that up. He's he doesn't have we, you know Kay Hearn's not going to be on to the end of a term or anything like that. Um, Justice Hill will be uh, sworn in soon, and as soon as he is, he'll he'll be on the court. Uh, all right, this is coming from the Federalist today, and I I was just perusing kind of did a little search for stuff about Burt Bacharach because he did, his music spanned six decades and really had an impact on the direction of music in the United States. And I mean, you can't say that about a whole lot of people. He won six Grammys. And when you think about it, that's not even, that's not enough (laughs) for somebody who overshadows and has the kind of influence that Burt Bacharach had during the time that he was active. But um, I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Burt Bacharach died Wednesday at the age of 94. And while the deaths of popular artists usually occasion some accounting of their contributions, his contribution to popular music was so was incalculable. By the numbers, he worked with well, now think about this, over a thousand artists, ranging from Dionne Warwick to Elvis Costello. He had 73 top 40 hits that he wrote. He received three Academy Awards for movie themes. Of course, you know, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That was People thought that was kind of weird, but it was one of the things that really set that movie apart uh, because of, of the, the contrast between the life of those two outlaws and some of the ways that they wove their story together. But uh, And also, Arthur's Theme was one of the other uh, Academy Awards he won. And we talked about the six Grammys. He was born in 1928. He was raised in New York, uh, where his father was a former pro football player turned syndicated columnist. And his mother was an amateur musician and painter. And as a teenager, he was famous for sneaking into New York's jazz clubs in the 1940s, where he saw a lot of the legendary but then up-and-coming jazz artist. Uh, it would probably be impossible to overstate this as a formative experience as his career was defined by his ability to bring jazz harmony into the otherwise limiting confines of a three-minute pop song. Yep, just like you were listening to What the World Needs Now, if you, if you listen to the way that music is, is constructed, uh, the tonality, is it, it sounds like it could be something something else. It could be a jazz tune, but he crafted it in a way that it was more of a pop music sound. Now, that's musical genius when you can do that. After high school, Bacharach served in the Army. 
uh, where he began performing and arranging for dance bands. It was also in the Army where he first met and worked with Vic Damone. The crooner frequently compared to Frank Sinatra, who had gone to have a modestly successful career. In 1956, Bacharach got a job producing and arranging Marlena Dietrich's nightclub act, uh, which he did off and on for the next several years. In 1958, Bacharach did his first of many film soundtracks to come for The Blob, starring Steve McQueen. He wrote the soundtrack for The Blob. And if you haven't seen that movie, Steve McQueen, it, look, it's worth it because Steve McQueen's in it. Um, but but it's, it's pretty weird. For the time, it was horrifying. Okay, I mean, it was just it would make your your blood chill. You see this see this blob thing. Pretty pretty good special effects for 1958. Um, it's quite possibly the most incongruous score for a horror film ever written. Um, however, his real breakthrough came in 1957 when he met another legendary songwriter, Hal David. This is where we got. I just told you that wrote the lyrics to What the World Needs Now. The pair worked together in the famous Brill Building, which housed dozens of professional songwriters and turned out hundreds of hits throughout the late 50s and 60s. That much-celebrated collaboration between Bacharach and David was very fruitful. The pair cranked out notable songs, including everything from The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which wasn't used in the movie, interestingly enough, to early hits for Dionne Warwick, who would go on to record some of his biggest songs. Uh, and from that point onward, Bacharach's songwriting credits read like a phone book where everybody listed is famous. It would be almost Herculean to even try to recount his body of work over the course of the last 60 years outside of a full-blown full biography. Suffice it to say, Bacharach's songwriting success was well-known. The Look of Love, Dusty Springfield, uh, That's What Friends Are For. Rod Stewart uh, recorded that and became a major hit in 1985 when there was a version of it that uh, had Dionne Warwick, Elton John, Gladys Knight, and Stevie Wonder that was raising money for AIDS research. Um, There's Always Something There to Remind Me is another one. Promises, Promises, uh, On My Own. I mean, we could go through spend the rest of the show uh, naming songs. One of my favorites was Say a Little Prayer. Um, and, and he just had he had some, some great, and of course, close to you. You know, there's a moment in the Carpenter's movie, um, the Karen Carpenter movie that made, the only movie that I know of that was done about the Carpenters. It was a made-for-TV movie. But in that movie, there's a scene where Herb Albert has a rolled-up you know, piece of, of music manuscript that's the words and the music too close to you. And he said, Bert sent this over, Bert Bacharach. He said, it's not for me, but see if Richard wants to take a try or Karen wants to try it. And, of course, it became a number one hit for the Carpenters. It's what launched their career. Uh, that song, Close to You, uh, created Karen and Richard Carpenter. I mean, they were already doing a lot of good stuff, but it brought them into pop music royalty, and it pretty much made Karen Carpenter's voice known to the world and solidified her place in the 70s. All right, we welcome special guests this morning, head of the Family Caucus, Representative John McCravey. Of course, I'm talking about head of the Family Caucus in the South Carolina House of Representatives. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, 
uh, Dr. Bean, I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's always a pleasure. Uh, look forward to having you on. Tell us a little bit about what happened in the House this week with the Human Life Protection Act, because uh, while the heartbeat bill was doing what it was doing in the Senate, the Human Life Protection Act was making its way through the House. That's right, and uh, we passed it through the full committee. Uh, I was happy to do that, and we we got you know forty three sponsors on that, and uh, we feel really good about it going forward. Uh, you know, and and I heard you your talker, I mean your your guest earlier, yeah. and yeah, and you know, I don't I believe that that there are many pro life people in the Senate who really want the Human Life Protection Act passed, and I applaud them for that. But here, here's our, here's the strategy, and I want you to understand this and, and your listeners. We came within only two votes of passing that bill last year in conference committee. I believe one of the reasons it didn't pass was because it did not have the exception for fatal fetal anomaly, and we could not put that on there as a compromise due to rules. Right. Rule issue. Um, and on top of that, we only lost by two votes, and the majority leader, who says he's for the Human Life Protection Act, voted to table the Human Life Protection Act. So there's another vote. So, you know, and, and let me say this. This bill is different, okay? It's different than the one we had last year. People don't, don't bring this out. First of all, uh, it's constitutional. According to the Justice Pew opinion, which I disagree with, but this bill recognizes human life, the heartbeat bill does not do that, and it can't do that, and it's already been ruled unconstitutional twice by our Supreme Court. This bill, the Human Life Protection Act, saves 99.5% of life. Uh, the, the heartbeat bill was disappointing. The seven and a half weeks that it was in effect, it really only reduced abortions by approximately 50%. And so we're still going to have a holocaust if we have if we pass the heartbeat bill. And let me say this: this has nothing to do with with me or any personalities in the house. I want you to understand that. Yeah, we've got four three co-sponsors on this bill. This is not only a family caucus bill; this is a Republican House Republican caucus bill. Yeah, we have adopted this as a Republican party. You know, the, our, our Republican platform in South Carolina is to protect life from conception. Right. Not at six to eight weeks, conception. And so so we, we want to you, – you can't pass a good bill without by giving up and passing something that, that just does not get it. And, and here, here's the way I feel about the heartbeat bill. The heartbeat bill leaves the concentration camps open to kill half as many as they did before. I want to close the concentration camp. It's time for the concentration camp to be closed in our state. So that's what this is about. And so I, you know, I respect somebody who says, well, we can save some lives by, by passing the heartbeat bill, but that's not the bill for South Carolina. We need to close the concentration camp and end this slaughter. So that's my position on it. I appreciate others, and, and that, but that's that's the way we feel in the House of Representatives. And it's not just a House-Senate thing. I don't want people to think that. We Listen, we're going to have a hard time passing this bill in the House. We're going to have filibusters on Wednesday. We're going we're gonna to take it to the full, and it's going to be a struggle. You know, there are people that hate this bill. Sure. The enemy hates this bill. There are a lot of people that 
disposal. Yeah. So we we still have a we still have a a burden to carry in the house and get this passed on Wednesday. And I appreciate everybody's prayers uh, in that regard too. So uh, I do. You have any questions about that? I mean, uh, and let me say one more one other thing. Nobody of this pro life has blood on their hands. You know, the only people who have blood on their hands are Democrats, Planned Parenthood, and the enemy. That's yeah. who has blood on their hands. Abortion doctors, abortion clinics, they're the ones that are, exactly. are, are doing it. That's exactly, exactly right. Well, the, the only question, you know, I'm, I, you know where I stand on this. You and I have had a thousand conversations about it. Uh, I, I want to see life protected beginning at conception because I think that is, it, it's not just, it's not just a, a, a biblically correct understanding of life. It's a biologically correct understanding of life. It's, it's, it's common sense that life, once it begins, should be precious and protected. And really, uh, you're right, uh, John, I mean, Representative McCravey, Senator, I mean, uh, Justice Few pretty much alluded to that. I mean, he, he, he pretty much said, look, if, if, if you're going to tell us that as the legislature that life begins at conception, then I have to consider that the right to life is would supersede any kind of right to privacy, but it doesn't if you're talking about life at six weeks. I mean, that's essentially what he said. And so that was interesting to me because that was kind of a challenge back to the legislature to say, okay, if this is if, if you're really going to protect life, this is where it, it should start. So I, I, I'm agree- in agreement with all of that. But if we can't find a path between these two bills, we're going to have two years of 1,000 abortions a month at 22 weeks. And that's, I, I, that, that's the part. It's not really a question. It's just I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I, I want the Senate to pass the House version, but they're, they, they're entrenched, and I don't see how that's going to happen. But maybe I, I want to be wrong about that. But, you know, we saw this happen over the summer. We spent from June to November, and it we, there, well, there, we couldn't find the path. Right. right, and I understand that. This bill does have a path. Number one, uh, we now have the decision, the final decision of the Supreme Court. Right. So to me, to try to pass the heartbeat bill when it's been declared unconstitutional is not productive. Second of all, this bill has the fatal fetal anomaly in it, which was not in, we could not put in as a compromise right. in the uh, conference committee. So there's differences. This bill also has special language in it to make sure that it will pass the justice few test. So, so I, I think there's a big difference, and we were only two votes shy, and one of those was a majority leader. Yeah. So, well, hey, and I, yeah, I think I mean, there's going to be. Close. Yeah, we're I think. Close. I think there's going to be plenty of um, plenty of pressure on the majority leader got, to, to pass. And you know, if you want to talk about talk about tactics or whatever, you've got a few Republicans, a minority of Republicans, right. getting their way in the Senate when we have a super majority of Republicans in the Senate. So there's the problem. You've got a minority yeah. of Republicans who are who will not pass the Human Life Protection Act. And they're controlling the entire narrative by joining with the Democrats. Well, and that comes so down. That's the problem. Yeah, that and, and I've fussed about this for years. 
it comes down to the procedure in the Senate um, and how how to get you know how how we get around that with the supermajority that we shouldn't have we shouldn't be able to combine a minority of Republicans with the minority party to prevent majority bills from going through. I don't I don't know any way there's, to say that any better. Of the problem right there. Yeah. But well, we were within two votes, and one of those is the majority leader. I say we're pretty close. Let me ask you. Yeah. Let me ask you about. I the, say we're close. Yeah. Let me ask you about the Supreme Court. Uh, now that Justice Hill uh, is going to be sworn in here pretty soon, uh, are you optimistic about the makeup of the court? Do you feel better about where we could be with the South Carolina Supreme Court with uh, Justice Hill on there? Well, I personally did not vote for Justice Hill because I have no confidence in, that he's going to do anything different than the other liberal judges we've elected in the past. Wow. If he does, if he does I'll be pleasantly surprised, and right. I'm very hopeful that he will. Yeah. But I, I don't see anything that's told me how he's going to vote on this. So All I right. could not vote for I can't in good conscience vote for a justice who, who has not proven to me that he's pro-life in some way or will, will abide by the Constitution. And I'm not saying he won't, and I hope he will. And if he does, I'll vote for him the next time if he runs. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but this time I could not bring myself to do it. It's nothing personal against him. It's just that I did not feel comfortable enough to say this man will do the right thing when he gets on the court. And we'll see. Yeah. I'm, I'm not judging him in advance. I'm just saying I didn't have enough to, to – to prove to myself that he will. Well, we have to say this, uh, Representative McCravey. <laughs> you know, Republicans don't have the best track record when it comes to uh, Supreme Court justices, either in the state or in the nation. I mean, I, for some reason, Democrats never miss. Name one Democrat justice that was put on the court that's that has failed to be progressive. I mean, I you know, I, I can't find them, uh, but it seems like yeah. we're we're always. Uh, somehow figuring out a way to do that. So I'm with you. I I pray that Justice Hill will be what some of the people have said for sure that they believe he is. And the only way we'll know is when those cases start to come up. Well, brother, I appreciate your time this morning. I appreciate your heart, your passion, your leadership over in the House. Um, and I pray that you're right about this uh, strategy that the Senate will take up HL, the Human Life Protection Act, see the differences and pass it so we can stop this carnage in South Carolina. Let me pray for you before we go. Father, I thank you for my brother. I thank you, God, for his leadership and the passion that he displays uh, with protecting life and all the other issues that he takes up in the House, which are many. Uh, I pray that you would continue to give him wisdom and your blessings and give him favor with those that he leads in the Family Caucus and continue, Lord, to give us the opportunity. I pray that that you would intervene by your power and that we would be able to, to pass good legislation that would protect life in South Carolina, uh, that would protect it beginning at conception. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Just a, a quick word, just a reminder, his radio talk, 919-897, is uh, coming to an end March 31st in terms of its talk radio format. Now, 919 and 897 are still going to be frequencies that are controlled by his radio, and there will likely be some type of music format over here, which, uh, you know, we'll, as we know more about that, we'll tell you more about it. 
But uh, just wanted to let you know, Gary Miller is retiring after a long career here at uh, his radio, and so they're going to um, that all of this is going to change. Now that means you won't be able to listen to this radio program or any of the others starting April first. And but my radio show is going to continue. It's going to have um, uh, a life as a podcast. It'll be streamed live on uh, a website. I'll be giving you the address as soon as the website gets built up. It's actually the one for the show right now, but we may make some change. We're, well, we are making changes to it to make it a little bit more robust. Um, we're going to try to get um, Corey Truax and Hannah Miller. We'll have access to their shows up there. Uh, we've talk, I've talked to the possibility of Dr. Jackson having his, some of his stuff up there. Uh, Austin Barker is uh, starting to write some. We're going to put his things up there. It's going to be kind of a conservative clearinghouse for uh, because I want people not just to listen to this show, but to listen to Hannah and to Corey and to Dr. Jackson and to others that would uh, are having what I would call Christian influence over what's going on in the culture when we talk about truth, politics, and culture. And those things, it's, it's important that the truth be in the center of that. So I'm still working on a new name for the, <laughs> for the show. But what we're going to do is instead of going 7 to 9, I'm going to, I'm going to do 7.30 uh, to 8.30 so that I can – I'm just not going to have the time to do two hours and then come back and do a podcast or edit it down. So I'm going to do 7.30 to 8.30, and we're going to be – pretty focused. We'll probably start out with about the first five minutes of what's happening, what's going on in the world. And then I'll tell you at the end of, the, of that first five minutes, okay, here are the three stories that we're going to drill into. And we'll dive into them, and I'll give you as much information as I can. I'll try to give you a biblical perspective on the stories that are, that are uh, uh, you know, being discussed for the day and why it matters to the culture and what the truth is. That's, that's my goal. Uh, so I hope you'll um, be following as we get into March. I'll be giving you specific information about the show so that you can follow it, and I hope you'll tell people, those of you that are on Facebook um, watching us live, uh, it'll still be on Facebook Live between 7.30 and 8.30, and uh, we're building out a YouTube channel for that too. So uh, it's going to be a lot of opportunities, and I'll need your help. If you think this show is worthwhile, it has meaning, and it's – meant something to you, then stay with me and um, help me promote what we're going to be trying to do with the show. All right. Um, just some of you may have noticed that I'm in my camouflage gear today. Uh, that's because Palmetto Family's having a clay shoot. It's sponsoring it over at Clinton House, and I'll be heading over there, uh, hot-footing it over there um, after the show this morning uh, to get there to be able to talk about what Palmetto Family does all the things that we're involved in in the state, trying to make the culture better by applying the truth of God's Word. And so we're going to be talking to sponsors and just folks that, you know, are coming out to have a good time and celebrate with us. So we appreciate that opportunity. Looking forward to it here in a few minutes. Uh, all right. Um, I wanted to finish up today by talking about another bill. I meant to ask Representative McCravey about this, and I, I just didn't. We got to talking so uh, much about the life issue, but another bill that was debated pretty hotly in the House this week was a bill that is being touted as being a CRT bill. 
Now, at, and this is the thing that really bugs me about the way the press handles things. Uh, I don't know who, who Javon Harris is um, at the state newspaper, uh, but this is the way he characterized the bill in the House. He called it the so-called Transparency and Integrity and Education Act. It's not a so—what what do you think when you hear so-called? Doesn't that call into question who named it, why the, what the name is all about? I mean, I mean, can't you hear that? The so-called, you know, you don't ever hear in your head when somebody says that, oh, the so-called, no, 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 this is, this is intended to call into question the purpose of the bill. And to me, that, that's wrong to do that if you're a reporter. That's a commentary. That's inserting your bias into the story. It's called, if you look it up, H3728. It is called and has been called since it was put forward the Transparency and Integrity and Education Act. Now, it would prohibit certain concepts, including those considered to be promoting critical race theory from being taught in South Carolina's public schools. That's true. Critical race theory is a process of examining how institutions and public policies such as zoning, policing, banking, health care, and more have created or increased inequality. No. See, look, CRT, critical race theory, and we've had this conversation many times, so I'm not going to go back and, and belabor it here, but it comes from a, the German school of thinking that is founded in critical thinking, critical theory, that simply it, it uses, and their, their creators actually admit that the purpose is to create controversy and division based around race, and that is not what we need. I mean, we need to have honest conversations about race, and we, we don't need people to be, to made, to be feel like, to make that their whole life, just because they're white or just because they've achieved some status in life, that they did it. On the, black, on the backs of people who are minorities. Now, are there people who have done that of all races? Yes. But is it, is it just a, a, a widespread attitude and systemic, as the 1619 Project suggests? No. So the proposal would prohibit public schools from suggesting that by virtue of a student's race or sex, that student bears responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race, sex, ethnicity, religion, color, or national origin. Is that not common sense? Let me just ask you, is that not a common sense statement? How can I, in the 21st century, be held accountable for what people that I'd never heard of, don't know, did in the 19th century. I mean, we're separated by 200 years. I'm, what, why should I, should people look at me and say, because of what people did that look like you 200 years ago, then you should be accountable. You should be called a white supremacist. You should be essentially um, tagged with the sins of the past. You know what? 
we stand accountable for our own attitudes in the world today. Now, did I come from a background in rural North Carolina when I was a kid growing up where there I was surrounded by racist attitudes in the 1960s? Absolutely. Did that form me in some way? You know what? It might have, but something happened in 1984. I became a born-again believer, and my sins were forgiven. My attitude about everything changed. And I began to see, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, even in, in the uh, late 60s and se- into the 70s when I was in high school, um, I didn't embrace the racist attitudes that were sometimes prevalent where I grew up. I knew that racism was wrong. So, you know, I, this idea that we should be blaming children or making them in some way begin to question who they are because of their race, it's reverse discrimination. It's, it, how is that going to fix the problem of slavery in this country if we go back and guilt an entire generation of people that had nothing to do with it? So, you know, here's the uh, Representative Ray Felder, a Republican from York, said transparency and integrity in education was carefully drafted legislation. He's one of the sponsors. It took her nearly two years to draft the proposal. After the grandstanding and posturing at the well today, the amendments have undermined the intent of the legislation without any public input or committee discussion. Our teachers deserve better. Look, this thing, I, I went to hearings on this. Some of the bloviating that took place, some of the accusations that were made against good people because they supported this legislation is ridiculous. And all of these amendments, look, both sides do this. I'm not saying that they don't. But all of these amendments were brought in mass by the Democrats to try to derail this bill. So just know that, that there's, this wasn't a genuine att- attempt to shape it. It was a ch- an attempt to kill it. Have a great weekend. I'll see you on Monday.